if you surround yourself with great people, you're going to do well because ultimately people build companies. They don't build themselves. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. I am so excited. I have Jason Robbins, CEO, co-founder of the incredible company, DraftKings. And I am just so excited, Jason, to have you on because it's very rare in the entrepreneurial space that I get to talk about two of my favorite things, gambling, fantasy, football. And it's football season. Uh, just to put a little time mark on it, we saw a great game last night to launch uh, the 2022 season. And, you know, when you were younger, you know, did you think that this is where your career would end up with one of the biggest companies with the biggest growth potential probably in the world? Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, when I was really young, I was still young and uh, you know naive enough to hope I could actually be playing the games. But I learned pretty soon that that was probably not in the cards for me, uh, although I still did enjoy playing as much as I could through high school. Um, and then after that, I became very interested in business, but I always kind of had in my head that um, in some ways it's a negative to do something that you're personally interested in because you'll be biased, you'll build the product that you want, a product your customers want. And I was a little nervous about that in the beginning, although I think in retrospect, it's actually been a really good thing because I feel like having a real understanding of who the target customer is, has helped a lot in terms of both my, my co-founders, the rest of my team's you know, focus on being able to build great products and, you know, have really strong marketing behind. And, you know, tiptoeing the line of fantasy and gambling and opening the minds, the hearts and the hands of, you know, probably one of the most protected brands in America, the NFL Shield, is quite a journey. And, you know, today I, I still pinch myself because I can't believe how quickly so many states are legalized gambling. I can't believe when I see uh, DraftKings uh, signs and billboards within a stadium, inside the stadium, I, it, it just blows my mind uh, to think that, you know, the same guys uh, who persecuted, uh, you know, people like Pete Rose and Shoeless Joe Jackson uh, for participating in the oldest and, and biggest business in America uh, would somehow someday be the biggest supporter and beneficiary uh, for you. How has that evolved? I think a lot of people don't talk about the evolution of fantasy into the legalization of gambling. And now with technology where it's at, it's really a, a variety of different businesses that occur because of the battery life, the access and the latency of the network. Well, you've definitely come a long way. I think, you know, um, I think it it really comes down to a few things. One is just understanding, and there's a lot of smart people at these leagues and owners, understanding that uh, more and more of their fans want fantasy, want betting, they enjoy it. It's an important aspect of how they engage in the game. Um, and you know, the reality is that if they want to continue to reach new uh, fans, reach younger fans, and stay you know, um, up to speed on the things that are most important to their fans, they have to take a look at these categories. Uh, and, you know, it's been amazing how quickly that's happened. But again, I give a lot of credit to the leagues for being smart and forward thinking, and I think they've done it the right way. And um, I do still think integrity is a very important thing. I think there's a big difference between the league saying, look, we're going to work with you to engage fans versus actual players, or coaches making bets. And um, you know, I think that's uh, something also that's helped is uh, many years ago, 
the way that betting happened for virtually anyone is you walk into a sports book, you take out some cash and you make a bet at the counter. Nowadays, with the majority of betting coming on mobile and data being collected and you know things that can algorithmically detect if odd bets are being made and set off red flags and um, notify the proper authorities, that actually is helpful in policing integrity of the game. It used to be that um, because it wasn't tracked as well, it could open up for you know potential integrity issues. But now I think it's actually the opposite. Leaving it offshore, leaving it in the illegal markets is what opens up potential integrity issues. Having everything done in a legal regulated market where algorithms can easily detect odd betting behavior and uh, the proper notification may be sent to authorities to investigate is I think going to help root out anything. Not that I think there's an issue uh, there that exists in any significant way, but uh, I think better way to put it is it'll help prevent any of those things from happening in the future. And on the odd, off occasion where it does, I think we'll actually catch it much more quickly. Yeah, and it also helps to educate responsible gambling, uh, which takes away a huge deterrent uh, from you know fantasy and gambling. But one of the things that is often overlooked is the actual change that gambling or fantasy especially has made in the sport, especially NFL. Uh, you know, uh, NFL two to one is the most popular sport for women. And, you know, from my running Lee Steinberg, Sports One Marketing with Warren Moon, we noticed early on that without fantasy, we still would be stuck, you know, in the Jerry Maguire days where, you know, unless it was a love story about football, nobody was interested. Now, you know, two to one, women are most interested in the NFL. And I attribute that specifically to fantasy and to DraftKings really gearing something that's uh, educational of the game, uh, but also engaging. How much of an impact do you see from your side of the fence that it's had on the inclusion and the equity of the fan base? I think it's been a tremendous part of it. Um, you know, people, uh, I think traditionally might have viewed it as kind of a, an old boys club, but then, you know, the game of fantasy brought more people together. It was fun. Um, you know, people wanted to participate with their significant others, with their friends. And I think that's been a big part of growing interest amongst different types of, you know, gender and other diversity uh, in, in, in the fan base. I also think that, you know, younger generations tend to be very interested in fantasy and betting relative to maybe some older generations. And I think that's really helped make the game continue to stay relevant, continue to stay engaging for so many years to a younger fan base. Football is the most popular sport now, just as it was decades ago. And I think fantasy and, and betting have been a big part of that. And uh, the governments are responding as well. And the dollars certainly are uh, giving credibility to what you're doing. Just to give people an idea, can you share some of the size, scope, and scale of the market today? I know uh, back, what, 2015, you guys went over a billion dollars in prize uh, money that you had given out. But what about today? You know, where are the numbers in fantasy in general? If I know you're a public company. So uh, any, any numbers you can share to, to help people understand how the size, scope, and scale has grown? Well, fantasy continues to grow. Um, you know, a lot of people thought when betting came about that fantasy would slowly wither away, but we've seen continued growth every year in daily fantasy and DraftKings daily fantasy um, since, you know, 2018 when we launched our first mobile sports book in New Jersey. So that's really exciting to see. Um, I think that on the betting side, just to give you a sense of how quickly that's growing, when we launched in New Jersey, this was only three years ago in 2018, August 1st, 2018, 
It took us about a month to get to our 1 millionth bet. Last night on the opening Thursday NFL game, we took 1.6 million bets. So in one night, we took 60% more bets than it took us in a whole month uh, to get to in New Jersey, um, just to give perspective. Now, obviously, there's a lot more states now, but that's a big part of the growth. And it just shows you how fast this industry is exploding. And how has technology affected that, giving the exposure and awareness and the marketing capability, but also, you know, I was CEO of Samsung's phone division in 1999 and could never imagine the network running fast enough to have uh, the speed that it takes just to handle, let alone the processing speed. But today, you're almost getting to the point where we're able to bet run or pass uh, or, or at least have fantasy proposition bets that are almost instantaneously. How much has the technology assisted you as well? Technology has been a big part of it, um, you know, on a number of dimensions, certainly, you know, the mobile phone becoming as ubiquitous as it has and the capability to get internet anywhere or almost anywhere on your mobile phone. That's been a huge thing. Um, you know, it used to be all of us could only get to the internet when we were at a computer. Now we have a internet in our pocket almost anywhere we go. The speed has been remarkable on the data side too. And um, some of the bet types you just mentioned, I think are, are currently being enabled by that. Um, to put it in perspective, our biggest issue is sometimes the data feed is faster than the broadcast because there's you know latency in the broadcast that's always traditionally been in there. And um, that's the discussion we're all having now is you know, how do we either work with the leagues or media companies to create alternate feeds for sports betters or fantasy players and things of that nature. Um, because you know, it's not the greatest experience in the world when you see the play update on your phone before you see it on TV. The whole point is you're trying to kind of play along and watch the game at the same time. So, you know, the speed and the data and the technology have all taken huge leaps over the last five to 10 years. And I think that's been not just an enabler, but frankly, a necessary thing. It couldn't have happened without it. Yeah. And the data itself and the community that you've created is one of the most valuable uh, in all the world as well. And utilizing that to create a marketplace, the new DraftKings marketplace uh, seems to be, you know, extremely, extremely wise play. What types of things uh, are we going to see in that ecosystem of the DraftKings marketplace? Well, our initial starting point was the NFT market. Um, we've done a number of successful drops with athletes ranging from Tom Brady and Wayne Gretzky to Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. Uh, just this week, we had Derek Jeter, um, you know, including the autograph collections, I think might be going today. Uh, and, and we're very excited about that. Each one seems to sell out faster than the last one. We have a secondary market where people are able to resell them to other fans who didn't get them because there's a limited supply on those initial drops. And, you know, we had probably, you know, depending on the drop, you know, some of them close to a thousand times more customers interested in buying them than we actually were able to sell. So, Lots of people who didn't get them in the initial drops are now buying them in the secondary market, which is cool to see. So that's been our initial thing. But the plan for marketplace is to really have it be incredibly expansive to be able to sell and buy almost anything there, not just digital goods, but physical goods, um, you know, tickets, you name it. And I think that, you know, what exactly we'll do and in what order is still being figured out. We just started staffing up a team who's really, you know, excited. Uh, we have a, a woman named Beth who's leading that, who's you know, building out a roadmap right now. Um, so more to more to come there. But uh, the whole reason we called it marketplace and not DraftKings NFTs was we do want it to be, you know, pretty broad. And 
Um, the analogy we made to ourselves was Amazon Marketplace. Um, you know, what that's become is a, a key component of Amazon's revenue and of the products they sell. So I think we have a similar vision that we don't need to necessarily create every product ourselves, but we'll have a marketplace where we'll leverage the customers that we have, the connection we have to their wallets, the funds that they have um, that they're holding with us already to be able to buy and sell. And how important is the NFL comparatively to all the other types of opportunities in sports that exist within DraftKings? How important is an NFL? NFL is absolutely critical. It's where the most customers engage. It has the most uh, new customer activity. Um, and even though there's not nearly as many games as there are in certain other sports, it's the most revenue. So um, it's number one across the board. And, you know, it really, uh, we refer to it as our holiday season because it's much like for the retail business, what that November, December period is like. It's where we see the largest spikes in activity and a big part of how well the year's gonna go is determined in these months. And what's the second uh, priority as far as sports go? Is it golf that's growing in, in fantasy or is there another sport that you feel is gonna be the future? Golf is tremendous in fantasy, um, blown away our expectations. The second largest sport is NBA, however. Um, that is the second largest sport. Uh, and then, you know, baseball and the college sports are close behind, followed by NHL and golf. Um, but golf has been one that's blown away my expectations on fantasy because, you know, someone who grew up playing season-long fantasy sports, you don't typically think of golf. You think of sports like football, baseball, basketball, hockey. You don't think of golf. But golf has been the biggest surprise for us. And in fact, um, similar to NFL, because it's once a week and not as you know frequent, I don't think you know can keep up with something like NBA. But if you look at a raw engagement number of players standpoint, the majors are bigger than anything outside of NFL. We run the biggest prize pool contest for daily fantasy outside of anything besides NFL. So from that standpoint, with the biggest prizes and the most fans engaging, golf would be number two. Well, it certainly makes all of those sports, especially the NFL, much more fun, engaging, uh, and entertaining. Now, you're an incredible entrepreneur. You have some great co-founders uh, with you as well. Uh, I'm sure there's been a ton of lessons through the struggles, mistakes, and failures along the way, and the resistance, uh, both from the leagues as well as our government and the regulations. Uh, there's a lot of work uh, to be done. What's the best advice uh, that you have with an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur graduating, not necessarily even from an Ivy League school, but just maybe not even graduating, that's setting off on a big idea that they're passionate about. What advice would you give them? Surround yourself with great people. Um, no one person builds a company by themselves and everybody has different skill sets. Nobody's great at everything. So surround yourself with great people, people who compliment you, who share a common vision, but don't necessarily have the same skill set. Um, you know, who have diverse views so that, you know, different perspectives that you might not otherwise consider brought to the table and people who work hard and feel a passion for what they're doing and care about it every bit as much as you do. I think it's all about the people. If you get the right people around you, and I don't just mean employees, I mean advisors, board members, investors, you know, all of that. If you surround yourself with great people, you're going to do well because ultimately people build companies, they don't build themselves. That's awesome. Last question I need to ask is, as you have won every 40 under 40 award and your company has grown and gone public and really, you know, probably uh, ex expanded past even your imagination of, of what your career would look like, prioritization becomes a big tool 
uh, because there's so many opportunities and there's so many people that are coming in different directions, internally, externally. Uh, and, you know, I can tell you still have the same humility you had when I, you probably don't remember even meeting me, you were much younger, but, but I remember meeting you and you still have that same humility. Um, but it gets more difficult when there's so many people in companies and opportunities grabbing at you. How do you prioritize all the opportunities that arise for you? Is there a certain thing that you've learned over the years? First of all, thank you for the nice words. I think, you know, trying to stay humble and keep humility is really important and um, something that, you know, I think everybody should do. As far as the prioritization question, um, you know, it's all an evolution because in the beginning, it's just do, do, do. And as you get bigger, you have more resources, which is great because it means you can do more things. Um, but then the choices become more complex. The amount of opportunities out there become, you know, much more uh, abundant and you have to put more process around it. So uh, I think the way that we do it is it starts with, we have an annual planning process. Um, we're in the midst of that now planning for 2022, where we go through all the different opportunities and we decide what are our goals for the following year? What are the key initiatives that we want to pursue? Um, and making sure that those goals are clear so that all the things we didn't think of, the team can figure out, you know, in the coming year. The second thing is on, the on, on an ongoing basis to have regular check-ins to ask, are these still the right priorities? Are these the things that we should be focusing on or has something changed or have new opportunities come up that we need to prioritize? And when they do happen, or when it does happen where there's new priorities or some circumstance changes, having a good change management process so that you can take the team and pivot them without making it seem too disruptive or too thrashy. All that's really hard to do. Um, it's a difficult part of scaling. Uh, we've had to learn on the fly, but you know, I've had some really great mentors who've helped me figure it out and some really great people at our company who manage these things. Well, with Paul and Matt and yourself, I know one thing, you guys are a testament to my favorite piece of advice, which is be kind to your future self and do good deeds because in a space that was not as well uh, accepted when you started, you guys were always uh, three of the most kind people uh, that I had uh, seen and worked with in the space. And uh, it was really nice to see that if someone was gonna succeed, it would be three really kind people. So I wanna congratulate you and also commend you for that humility and kindness, which still with all the philanthropic things that you do and all the educational things you do, uh, even with gambling and responsibility and gambling, I consistently see your brand tied to the kindness that I look for in entrepreneurship. It's okay to make a lot of money, but you're helping a lot of people. And the best part is you guys have having a lot of fun down pat. So thank you so much, Jason, for joining me.